Welcome to the Confluence of Ideas from Confluence Investment Management. Today, an update on the firm's 2022 outlook, covering expectations for the markets for the rest of the year. Our guest is Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady. I'm Phil Adler. Our conversation today can be framed as a companion to the written Confluence report on the same theme, which offers charts, technical discussion, and the type of detailed research that's more friendly to the eye than to the ear. You you can find and print the written 2022 Outlook Update 2 report by accessing confluenceinvestment.com. You'll find the tab for the 2022 Update Number 2 near the top of the page on the right. Bill, this is the firm's second update on the initial Confluence 2022 Outlook report, which was released way back in December. At that time, you anticipated updates during 2022 because of a higher than normal probability of extreme outcomes. Do you feel the economic and the market environment today remains just as unfriendly to economists who are in the business of making forecasts? Yes, Over the past two years, I have heard the word unprecedented more than I think I've heard it over my entire career. There are seismic changes taking place that I don't think are even being looked at by the financial markets. Uh, For example, the U.S. and EU decision to freeze Russian foreign reserve assets is, in my opinion, as monumental event as Nixon leaving the Bretton Woods Agreement. But so far, markets really haven't considered the ramifications because, frankly, there's too much else to process. Before we move on to specific predictions for stocks, bonds, the dollar, and commodities, let's discuss the economy. You argue that a recession is not likely this year, but is much more likely next year. What argues against a recession this year? Well, consumer spending remains strong, and household balance sheets, at least for the top 50% of the income brackets, are still in pretty good shape. But there are clear signs of weakening, which will become evident as we head to year's end. Do you think available jobs will decline sharply by next year, or will the trend be more moderate? Well, that's a really good question. It's tied to the notion of something called labor hoarding. Businesses have been going through a period not only where it's hard to find workers, but also having to pay more to retain the workers they have. Now, that being said, some of the tech firms which were aggressively hiring until recently have started to cancel job openings. But for the rest of the economy, we could be facing a recession where joblessness simply doesn't increase all that much. Are the markets already pricing in a recession next year? Uh, Yes, to some extent. Recently, Treasury yields have been declining to levels that are difficult to justify based upon current inflation rates and Fed policy. If the recession is mild, equities may not have much further to fall. Although recession is starting to look inevitable, it's still way too early to determine just how deep it will be. Do you think inflation has already peaked? Well, if it hasn't, I think we're likely close due to base effects alone. Gasoline prices have rolled over, and as we've been discussing in our weekly energy report, gasoline demand has been lackluster. The bigger issue is where does inflation trough? It's quite possible we don't get to the Fed's 2% inflation target before easing starts. When do you think the Fed might be done raising rates? 
Well, as we note in the report, Eurodollar futures 18 months and 24 months out are signaling that the Fed is close to finish. I am expecting the Fed to at least pause its hiking cycle by year's end. If inflation's falling, that might be all we see. Bill, you've suggested in the past that the most likely outcome for the American economy in this cycle is Fed tightening, which leads to a financial crisis as opposed to a mere recession, which in turn leads to a rapid easing of policy. Do you still feel this way? Well, that's been the pattern for the past 25 years. Although financial conditions are weakening, they are not quite yet at a level that would suggest a problem. It's always hard to know from where such an event will spring. There is clear stress in the cryptocurrency markets, but so far the problems have remained isolated in that space. Housing is another area of concern, although I would not expect anything that looks like 2008. Bill, as we turn to asset classes, let's start with your forecast for the bond market. You're forecasting that as the Fed continues to raise rates, the 10-year Treasury yield will hit 3.60 to 3.75% this year. At the time of our conversation, the yield remains well below where we might expect it to be, given the inflation environment, and also below your fair market valuation. Why? I think the bond market is anticipating recession. In prior recessions, the model indicated that yields were too low, but the independent variables deteriorated, leading to a lower fair value yield and not the other way around. What economic indicator or development that you're particularly sensitive to may lead to a change in your bond yield forecast? The two most important are the policy rate or Fed funds and long-term inflation trends. If the bond market expects a recession, it is probably starting to expect not just an end to tightening, but rate cuts. So if policy is expected to ease soon, we would look to adjust. Given the difficulty of predicting the path of the economy right now, what advice can you offer bond investors? Well, we recommend you lean into treasuries in the middle of the yield curve uh, around three to seven years and avoid credit risk. In other words, reduce exposure to corporate debt. Should there be any room in our portfolios for bonds that are not highly rated? Yes, but only as substitutes to equity exposure. We look for high yield spreads against treasuries to weaken, and based on that idea, high yield is unattractive. However, that asset class straddles equity and debt and thus can be held as an alternative to equity. Turning to stocks, Bill, you're now forecasting an upside for the year for the S&P 500 at 4,200, and your downside estimate is 3,400. Is this range larger than normal? It is. Technically, equities are oversold and cash levels remain elevated, thus a bounce is possible. However, as the equity markets begin to size up the depth of the recession, a decline to the lower end of that range is possible. At the time of this recording in late July, are you generally optimistic about corporate earnings? Yes. My margin model is still favorable to earnings this year, but weakness emerges in 2023. What's the likelihood of an increase in interest rates drawing investors away from equities? Well, that's a good question. To some extent, the Fed needs to raise rates high enough to where cash on balance sheet stays there. That will slow spending and at least in theory reduce inflation. If we look at Schiller's cyclical P.E. ratio and convert it to an earnings yield, it still favors equities over treasuries, but the gap is narrowed. So there is some possibility of that occurring. 
The dollar remains strong, and that's already having a negative impact on earnings for American-based international companies that rely on exports. What has surprised you the most about the strength of the dollar, and, and do you expect that strength to continue? Well, the dollar was my biggest forecast error this year. I rely on mean reversion to purchasing power parity for exchange rates once they become overly extended. And we had reached that level. But a couple things have intervened. First, U.S. monetary policy has been much tighter than the rest of the world, and that has bolstered the dollar. Second, major central banks face idiosyncratic problems. Japan, for example, wants to continue to hold long-term debt yields for government bonds near 0%, and that's led traders to dump yen. And the ECB, although it wants to tighten, is facing potential fragmentation of the eurozone. This factor will likely temper their policy tightening. Thus, I expect the dollar to remain firm until the Fed begins to ease rates. You continue to favor defense stocks, but we do see supply chain disruptions have been an issue lately as these companies report earnings. Should this be a huge concern for investors? Well, it's a concern, but in a more dangerous world, we consider defense stocks as a good long-term position. Commodities have performed well as the Ukraine war and other geopolitical issues affect supplies. Do you expect continued strength in commodities? Although I am very bullish commodities long term, it's important for investors to remember they are cyclically sensitive. Even in the 1970s, perhaps the strongest commodity bull market ever recorded, prices fell during recessions. This is a good time for investors to rebalance and take some chips off the table. Bill, on a grander scale, you've consistently argued for many months now that the era of globalization is ending. Do geopolitical and market events so far this year fit comfortably within that broader theme? Yes. You know, when you predict something for a long time, it can be shocking how fast things move. I'm not surprised that we're seeing an unwinding of the type of globalization that has existed since the 1990s. But the speed of the unwinding, I have to say, is a bit breathtaking. Thank you, Bill. Our report today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler. You can find us on Twitter at Confluence IM.